the Lord. Thank the Lord for the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary and that it washes away our sins. What a blessing, what an encouragement, and uh, what, a, what a great song to sing. And uh, thank the Lord for that. If you have your Bibles open up this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, and I want to preach on the enemy of thanksgiving. Uh, the enemy, really, of thanksgiving. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Thanksgiving is coming up this week, and, uh, and I hope you know that. I hope you already got your turkey and got your plans and uh, got family to get together with or somebody and, and uh, be able to spend some time uh, giving thanks. And, uh, and don't, uh, don't hold back on giving thanks to God. Uh, this Thanksgiving. Thank God for, our, for the blood, for the salvation that we have uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God for uh, a Bible that we can have and we can read, a church uh, that we can attend and sing praises to the Lord Jesus Christ and preach the Word of God without any kind of fear of being closed down. And there's a lot to be thankful for. And uh, we need to express thanks uh, to, to, our, to the Lord and be thankful this season. Uh, I'm grateful that, that every year uh, that Thanksgiving comes around and it reminds us, boy, we need reminded uh, to be thankful. And uh, so what a great time. And by the way, our, our prayers ought to regularly have thanks to God. Uh, we think of prayers oftentimes as requests, and they are. We do make requests to God. But listen, when He answers, uh, we ought to give thanks to Him for those things. And, uh, and not just that. I mean, we ought to thank Him every single day for our health, for our ability to get up and, and move and do things, and for the freedom that we have. I mean, you could go on and on and on. And the more you, you thank Him and the more you praise Him, man, it just makes your day go better. Uh, and so thank the Lord for uh, thanksgiving. As we open our Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, as, uh, let's start there in verse number 1, and then I'll get into the introduction, really. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 1, we're going to look at some of the enemies of thanksgiving. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized in, unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Praise the Lord for that. And men, but with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And let's stop right there and uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you for the privilege that we have to be in your house this, eve this morning. God, I pray that you would use me. God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, as we look at some of the enemies of thanksgiving, may we recognize them in our own lives. And Father, may we be very careful to uh, put them aside and, and not continue thinking about those things, but to be thankful and to be grateful for the many things that you have done for us. And Father, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. And God, will be careful to give you the honor and glory for 
for all that's said and done. And in Jesus' precious name, we ask this. Amen. As we look at this, uh, this passage, it's a little bit, uh, the, the wording of it is maybe uh, vague, maybe if I could say it that way. Uh, and if you know your Bibles, you would understand it right off the bat. But uh, maybe if you're unsure about it, you say, what is that referring to under the cloud and baptized under Moses and uh, all of that? If you look at the nation of Israel, it really is a picture of salvation. You remember the fact that they were in slavery in Egypt. They were there for a long time. And they were under the bondage of the Egyptians. Matter of fact, the Egyptians would say, hey, uh, you've got to go make brick and you've got to do this. And, and, uh, and whatever the Egyptians said, they had to do. They didn't have a choice. And they were in slavery. They were in bondage to the Egyptian people. And you remember that God raised up Moses and brought Moses into the picture. And Moses was to lead the nation of Israel out of that slavery, out of that bondage. And listen, that idea of bondage and that idea of slavery is, is the idea of before our salvation, we were enslaved to sin. And we were in bondage to sin. In other words, we didn't have a choice but to sin and to serve sin. And then you watch all of the plagues of Israel and God worked a, a miraculous work really. And, uh, and the very last one, you remember this, was uh, when the, the slaying of the firstborn. And the nation of Israel was given instructions that they were to go to their flocks. They were to choose a, a lamb uh, that was, was perfect, that was whole. And, uh, and bring that lamb into their family. And that, boy, that's a picture of the Savior. What a blessed picture that is. They were to bring them in, and, uh, and after having that lamb in them and inspecting him for any kind of sickness, any kind of disease, and, and being sure that he was a, a spotless lamb, then they were to take and they were to kill that lamb and apply the blood to the doorpost of their house. That was the very first Passover. And uh, that's the whole idea. We sing that, that song uh, that, uh, that, <clears throat> that, that uh, the, Lord will, the, the death angel will pass over us because the blood has been applied. And we think of that song and think of that idea. And uh, <clears throat> it's a very true thought and it's a very true and it's a reference to that salvation. And the nation of Israel <clears throat> was saved as they were brought out of that bondage. Let me grab a drink of water here. And so then they were brought out of that, that place of bondage. <clears throat> then they went to the Red Sea. And that is a picture of their baptism as they go through that Red Sea. <coughs> Excuse me, I don't know what happened. I did great for Sunday school and I was even able to sing. I don't know. I got one. I don't, I don't want to stick it in my mouth because then I'll end up spitting it out and I'll hit somebody on the front row. <clears throat> end up having to take them to the emergency room and hitting that forehead with a cough drop. What happened? I went to church. That'd be bad. <clears throat> well, hopefully <clears throat> we'll get that under control. But... Uh, um, as they passed through that Red Sea then, that was a picture of their salvation, of their baptism rather. Their salvation was before that. 
And then uh, the whole wilderness wanderings is really <clears throat> a picture of, of the Christian life and our life wandering in that wilderness, what? Looking for that promised land. Boy, we look for that promised land. And that promised land is not an earthly land that we're looking for. Hey, we got a promised land that we're looking for that is in heaven. And what a land that is and what a day it is that we will get to that promised land. And, and he says that here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. He said, let's read it again, verse number 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, this is a, this is a picture, this is an example for us that we should read and that we should study the life of Israel so that we don't fall into the same things that they did in their life. And so as we look at this, I want us to see a few things. <clears throat> Turn with me to Exodus chapter number 15. Exodus chapter number 15. And we're going to look at this example of the nation of Israel and how they, uh, how, what were some of the enemies of their thanksgiving and what were some of the problems in their life. Exodus chapter 15, uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter number 16, they have already come out of the, uh, the, the nation of Israel or Egypt. Uh, they've already crossed over that Red Sea. That happened in chapter 14. And then Exodus chapter number 15 is a song of victory where, uh, where Miriam leads them and they are excited man they are there's a new song in their heart praise the Lord and when we get saved there's a new song that we ought to sing and we ought to thank God for the blood that he shed on the cross of Calvary and that our life has been changed and that we're no longer shackled by the sin that was there in the land of Egypt but our life has been changed so Exodus chapter number I said 16 let's go back to 15 and I got you flopping back and forth look with me in verse number 22 at the end of Exodus chapter 15, he says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the water of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured, against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. 
I want you to notice, as they come out of the nation of, 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 of Egypt and out of that bondage, now, their life was totally different. What did they do every day? Well, before, when they were Egypt, every day they got up and the taskmaster said, hey, you have to make this many bricks. And so one would go and do whatever his job was. Maybe it was to mix the mud. Another would go gather the straw. The others would take and, and form the bricks. And they had a whole production. And every day they had to do what their taskmasters told them to do. But ever since they've left out of Egypt and now crossed over the, uh, the Red Sea and the Lord has brought them into this wilderness, they're now their life is dynamically different. And they say, man, we're not under the bondage any longer. But also, now, uh, they're like, man, we've, we've got needs. We've got problems. And you notice they go, the Bible says, three days into the wilderness and there was no water. I find it interesting there in verse number 25 at the end, the Bible says, and there he proved them. The nation of Israel was learning as a nation to depend upon God. They hadn't done that for the past several years, 400 years. They had been in slavery and in bondage, and they, they were not even in, uh, allowed to worship God as they would have wanted to worship God. And, and, and they, their life was dramatically different. Now they're having to learn to depend upon God as their Savior. And so God takes them out into the wilderness, and listen, all their water bottles started running dry. And they started thinking, man, where are we going to go water? We're in the wilderness. There's no place for water. There's no uh, nowhere at all. And then finally they found water in this place called Mara. And as they drank the water, uh, they thought, man, that's gross water. We can't drink of it. And God talked to, no to Moses and said, hey, listen, here's what I want you to do. Cut down that tree and throw it in there. And it made the water sweet again. And he said, hey, listen. And, and what was God doing? God was proving to the nation of Israel, I am going to take care of you. The nation of Israel had to experience the need of water so that they would call upon God, so that they would realize, hey, God is going to provide for you in your life. Sometimes we go through hardships in our life. And listen, some of the hardships that we go through, you look back and you say, man, I appreciate so much more in life now in light of the hardships that I have been through. I know what it is to be without, and I know what it is to have these things. And then I appreciate those things so much more. And the nation of Israel was learning that lesson. Look with me in verse number 22, and look at what they they found no water there, but look with me in verse number 24. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? They started to complain. And that, you can underline that verse. They started murmuring and saying, Hey, what are we going to do? There's no water. And, and listen, it was a proving of God that God was saying, Hey, I've brought you into this barren place. I've brought you into this difficult place in your life so that you can learn to depend upon me. And that is a lesson that God is teaching them. Look in verse number 26. 
Not only do we see the uh, providing of the water there, but I want you to notice in verse 26, we notice the promise. As we look at God's attention on the nation of Israel, he says in verse 26, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon Egypt, uh, upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. He's telling them, hey, listen. Egypt or Israel, it is so important for you to follow the command of God. He's telling them, hey, listen, you have got to listen and obey to the word of God. And I'm going to keep all of these diseases that, it, that Egypt had off of you. Listen, sometimes, sometimes our worldview is a little bit askew, to be honest with you. A lot of times we think, well, you know, uh, sickness is germs and this and that. Listen, the God of the Bible said, hey, I'm able to keep sickness off of you. I'm able to hold things back from your life for your blessing and for your sake. And, and listen, God is able to do that. Uh, now, he doesn't always do that. And I'm not saying that every time you get sick, that it is a curse of God on your life. I'm not saying that at all, because we know that sometimes God does allow things to come into our life. But I'm just telling you this, that he was trying to teach the nation of Israel that he would take care of them. That's what he's proving to them. And he showed them that through the water and the fact that, hey, there was no water. When they found water, it was no good. And God showed them how to make it good water. Look with me in verse number 27 and watch this. And they came to Elam and there were what? Twelve wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. Listen to the lesson that they would have missed. God could have very easily directed the nation of Israel and bypassed that place and gone straight to Elam where there were 12 wells of water already dug. But what would the nation of Israel have learned? Absolutely nothing. They would have learned, well, there's water in the wilderness and we don't need God. That's what they would have learned. But God took them to a place where there was no water and allowed them to grow through that hardship in their life so that they could take and say, God, we need you. And of course they did murmur and complain to God. But nonetheless, God was proving them and showing them, hey, I am more than sufficient to take care of your needs in your life. And he was proving that to them. We watch God's attention as he gives them the water there in, in, in Mada and provides for them and then leads them the next place where there's 12 wells and they didn't have a worry about the water. But look with me in Exodus chapter number 16. As we continue the historical lesson, he says there in verse number 1, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron 
in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I want you to notice in chapter 16, now they've just crossed the Red Sea. They just witnessed, in my opinion, one of the greatest miracles that takes place in the Old Testament, that the waters of the Red Sea would be parted and that the entire nation of Israel would walk across on dry ground and then the Egyptians would pursue after them and God would cause the wheels, go back and read it, to fall off of their carts and then lift his hand and allow the waters to come back in and destroy the Egyptians. You talk about a big miracle. That's a big God. And he did a great miracle. And here they get three days into the wilderness and they start complaining against God because they have no water. Now they go just a little further out. We don't have a time frame. I don't know exactly how long. But you notice they hadn't gone very far and they were at the next place. And look at what he says there in verse number two. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron and the wilderness, in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. In other words, he's saying, man, I wish we would have just died in Egypt. We'd have been better off being dead in Egypt than being drug out here to this wilderness where it's hard to find water and there's no food for us here in this wilderness. You understand their complaining spirit that's going on here. And, and, and listen, it is that complaining spirit that is an enemy of thanksgiving. And we see that in the nation of Israel. And God is warning them and saying, hey, listen, this is not right. Look with me there in verse number six. We won't read the whole thing for, for sake of time, but look at what, what Moses said in verse number six. And Moses and Aaron said unto the children of Israel at even, then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt in the morning when ye shall see the glory of the Lord for that he heareth your murmurings, look at what he says, against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? You go back in verse 3 or verse number 2, and they were murmuring against Moses and Aaron, or so they thought. They were murmuring to Moses and Aaron. Maybe we should say it that way. But you know what? In all reality, their problem was not with Moses and with Aaron. Their real problem was with how God had brought them out of Egypt, taken them to the wilderness, and then in their minds abandoned them and not given them food. And that was their problem. They see this and say, man, our problem is that God is not taking care of us and that God is not supplying our needs and that God is not giving us the food that we need. And they were all concerned about it. Hey, listen, we ought to be very careful about complaining and the attitude and the spirit of complaining. Listen, a lot of people complain about their job. Hey, listen, God gave you a job. Hey, don't complain about your job. If God gave you a job and you get a paycheck, praise the Lord, you get paid and you get a job. Now, if you have a job and you don't get a paycheck, maybe you need to find a new job. 
I'm not saying that you need to stay in a bad place, but I am saying that, hey, listen, we all not complain about the way God provides in our life. Because God does provide for us and God does take care of us. And the nation of Israel had started complaining against Moses and against Aaron, but Moses was quick to point out, hey, listen, you might be complaining to us, but it is not us. It is God that's responsible to take care of you. Moses and Aaron, who were they? They were but men. How were they supposed to provide for the million of, of, of Israelites that were living in this wilderness. They couldn't have done it. They couldn't have done it for one tribe. Uh, they were no more able than, than the rest of the nation of Israel to provide. And so, <clears throat> ultimately, it was God's responsibility to, to provide for them. Look with me down in verse number 13. Look at what it says there. And it came to pass that at evening, even, the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small, round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna for uh, they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating. And Omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Uh, that, that ye, Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. In other words, hey, God did provide for them. And he said, hey, I am going to supply for you the manna from heaven. And listen, from now, uh, for a long time, God provided every single day, with the exception of Saturday, the manna that would fall down from heaven. And what I'm telling you is this, that God was going to take care of the nation of Israel. And he was proving that to him. Listen, let's fast forward to 2022. You know, we often quote the verse, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Wait a minute. What are all those things that are going to be added unto us? What are those things that we're looking for? Well, if you go back in the context of that verse, Matthew 6.31 says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do, do the Gentiles seek. Boy, we have a problem with that today. Well, everyone's seeking after, uh, boy, what, 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 what type of shoes do you got on? Hey, what, what type of suit are you wearing? Hey, what kind of tie you got on? And, and this and that. And they're seeking after all the, the fancy fads of the day and this and that and following. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being dressed nice. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. But that ought not be our goal. That ought not be our life. That We ought not be tied up in all of those things. And, and he's saying, uh, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Listen, God knows that you need food. God knows that you need clothes. And, and the Bible goes on in verse 33, but seek ye first 
the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hey, our first priority ought to be always seeking after God. And I'm not saying don't go to work. I believe it's God's will for you to go to work. I believe we, we ought to be workers. I've preached on that many times. God does not endorse laziness, and we ought not sit around and be lazy. But, but I am saying this, that ultimately our trust and our, our, our belief should be that, hey, God is going to provide for us. God's attention to the nation of Israel was saying, hey, I want you to learn that I'm going to provide the water. I want you to learn that I'm going to provide the manna for you. And look at, look at what they said just for reference, the end of verse chapter 16. I guess it's not the end. Verse number 31. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. In other words, man, they thought it was good. They thought, man, God is taking care of us and, and God was providing and they were learning and they were growing in their Christian life as they went on. And I want you to notice that one of the enemies of Thanksgiving is that of murmuring and complaining about our circumstances. Hey, God brought them through some of those places so that he could teach them, so he could train them, so he could prove that he was going to take care of them. I want you to notice how their attitude changed. Go with me to Numbers chapter number 11. Numbers chapter number 11. We're going on now two years, at least. The, the nation of Israel has been following God in Numbers chapter 11. And, and they've been walking with God, and, and in that time, the nation of Israel has built the tabernacle. You go back and you reread the book of Exodus, and all the instructions are laid out for how to build the tabernacle. And God has given lots of instructions, the relationship with God. The, the, we, we call them the Ten Commandments. There's far more than Ten Commandments that God gave the nation of Israel. But, uh, but He gave them all of those commandments. And it was two years worth of instruction that God was telling the nation of Israel, this is how you're supposed to live. This is how you're supposed to do this. This is how you're supposed to treat your neighbor. This is how you're supposed to react with God. And He was giving them all of these instructions that we find in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and even in the book of Numbers. And they've been living in the blessing of God as God has continued to provide for them. Look with me in, in Numbers chapter number 11 and verse number 1. And when the people, what's it say? Complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost part of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. Let me just stop right there for a moment and say this. 
the nation of Israel, when they first came out and they were in that wilderness and they were murmuring against Moses, hey, listen, they were still learning that God was going to take care of them. They were still learning that God's very interested and attent to their every need and that they would need water and that they would need food and that God would provide those things. And I think God was merciful to their complaining. He was merciful to their murmuring. They were new. They didn't know anything. But we're talking two years that God has provided for them. We're talking two years that, God, that manna has fallen every single day except for Saturday. And every day they've had water. And every day they've had food. And it opens up that they're complaining. And we find, listen, that God judges the nation of Israel. And says, hey, listen, I've been taking care of you for two years. I've been bringing you along and I've been nurturing you and I've been caring for your needs and I've provided the manna. And after two years, they have complained. And we find that God sends a judgment on the nation of Israel. Look with me in verse number three. And he called the name of the place Taborah. Because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. The word complain means to utter expressions of grief or resentment, to murmur or find fault. And listen, as we notice way back in Exodus chapter 16, they weren't finding fault with Moses and Aaron. They were finding fault ultimately with God, and their complaint was ultimately against God. And ultimately, that's what caused uh, the, the judgment of God to fall on the nation of Israel. Look with me in verse number 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting and the children of Israel wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away, and there is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. Well, wait a minute. That's what God had provided for them. That, that's how God had taken care of them and sustained them for these past two years. And God was providing for them. And listen, complaining is discontentment with God. And listen, complaining will often lead to uh, lusting or looking for other things or even remembering and saying, hey, we had it far better off when we were in slavery in Egypt. I think they had a distorted memory. Because it was not better off for them in Egypt. Every day they had to get up and do what their taskmaster said that they had to do. Now they've been living and following God. And God was allowing manna to fall from heaven. And you remember back in Exodus two years ago, hey, it tasted like sweet honey to them. That's what they said. It was good. The blessings of God were good. And, and the way God was taking care of them was good. But listen, what changed? I can tell you this. It wasn't God's manna that changed. Because God's not going to do that. It was their perspective. And they started to become discontent. 
And they started to complain. And they started saying, man, I wish I had some fish. Man, I wish I had cucumbers. Man, I wish I had leeks and onions and garlic and this and that and, and everything else. And they were looking back to the way things used to be. And maybe they were seeing the way the world was living. Hey, listen, we have got to be so careful that we don't complain against God. Because there is nothing will kill a grateful, thankful heart like discontentment with God's provision in our life. God was providing. God was giving to them, but they were no longer happy with what they uh, were receiving. Look at verses number 7 and 8. And the manna was as coriander seed, and the color thereof was the color of bdellium. I don't know what bdellium is. I looked it up and I was reading a little bit about it. And I can tell you this. You remember back in Exodus 16.31, it was the color of white. Now, it didn't even look white to them. It looked like a yellow. Uh, uh, it, was, it was funny colored. It was not, uh, bdellium has to do with a, a stone that is, that is a colored stone. And, and it was no longer white. They were not even seeing it the way that they used to see it. Look with me there in, in verse number 8. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills and beat it in mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. Wait a minute. What did it taste like before? You remember Exodus 16.31, the Bible says, And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. But they'd had manna so long. Man, they made, they made mashed manna. They made baked manna. They made cookie manna. They made uh, fried manna. They made, uh, they made every kind of, they filleted manna. They sauteed manna. They roasted manna. They did everything that you could do with manna. Man, they crushed it up and, and, and made every, they sprinkled it on everything. They ate it with everything. And eventually, they grew tired of God's provision. Oh, listen, may we be so careful. Listen, when we first get saved, oh, God understands that we're, man, we're trying to figure out that God's going to take care of us and God's going to provide for us. But listen, after we've been saved for a while, we've been walking with God, we're living with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, don't ever get discontented with God's provision for your life. Remember, our blessing, our promised land is not here. Our promised land is up there. That's what we're looking for. Hey, we're just getting through the wilderness. We're just getting through the hard portions of this life. We're just, we're just depending upon God to provide for us. And listen, they, were, uh, they started craving. Why? Because of their discontentment that they started looking around saying, I'm no longer happy with the way God is providing for me. And I want something different. And listen, their commentary on the manna was that they, it was no longer the same and that uh, it looked different and it tasted different. Listen, their perspective and their attitude had changed, but the manna did not. Listen, we need to appreciate God's blessings. Go with me to Jude chapter number 1. Go to Revelation and then go back one book. It'll be easier to find the book of Jude that way. Jude, there is only one chapter. I, I, was, I read this this morning and 
I was looking for other verses and I, I stumbled across this verse and it just fits so well. Jude 1, verse number 14. Look at what it says there. Jude 1, 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Let me ask you, is there one word that stands out in the verse stands out in verse number 15? It's ungodly. All right. Uh, it's very clear. He's talking about some ungodly wickedness that was prophesied. Look with me in verse number 16. These who the ungodly, these are murmurers and complainers walking after their own lusts. And with their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. And he says in verse 17, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Hey, listen, he's saying there is some ungodliness. And, and listen, it was all based on murmuring and complaining. Boy, I read that and I thought, God hates murmuring and complaining. Listen, it's worse than that. Murmuring and complaining is a sin against God. It's clear in the Word of God. And listen, we struggle with it. Every one of us, I mean, we're all prone to, to complain. We're all prone to murmur. We're all prone to say, man, I wish it wasn't so, and I wish things were different. And I'm just telling you that murmuring and complaining it will absolutely kill a grateful heart and change. It is the enemy of thanksgiving. It will change our, our gratefulness into ingratefulness. And once we become discontented with what we have and we no longer think, well, it's sufficient, then we've got problems. I love his last part there in verse 20. He says, build up yourselves. In other words, hey, we have got to stay, maintain our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, beseeching God in prayers in the Holy Ghost, and then beholding uh, the, the, the mercy of God. Listen, we've got to be, keep our eyes focused on the fact that, hey, God has saved us. God has provided for us, and God is taking care of us. And oh, listen, we, we might not have all you want, then you need to change your wants. Say, God... I've got you and that's enough. And be happy and be grateful with the way God provides and takes care of us. That's gratefulness. That's appreciation. That's thanksgiving. I was thinking about this and I'll leave you with this thought. 
We ought to be content. The, Paul said this, he said in, in Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. The Apostle Paul wrote that from prison. And he said, I've learned to be content. And I'm not, that, that's something that we need to learn is contentment in our life. But I, I think we ought to go a step further. And the same Apostle Paul that wrote that said, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks. You know what contentment is? Contentment is to satisfy the mind, to make quiet, so as to stop complaint or opposition. Well, the nation of Israel could have said, Well, we've got manna. God's provided it. And we ought to be content with it. And I think that would have been good. That would have obviously been opposite of complaining. But then the next step is to be thankful and say, I'm not just satisfied with what I have. And I'm not just glad or, or grateful that God has provided for me. But I want to say, thank you, Lord, for those things that I have. And for the manna and for the water and for the provision of God in my life. And, and listen, we ought to be thankful. Complaining, murmuring. Those are enemies, complete enemies to contentment and to satisfaction and to thankfulness. Listen, we ought to be grateful and say, God, thank you. Oh, thank you for everything that I have. Listen, we need, we need remind, I need reminded of that. We need reminded of that on a regular basis to say, thank you, God, for your provision, for how you've taken care of me for what you've done in my life. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet, the truth of the matter is God has blessed us beyond measure. God's been so good to us in saving us, changing our life. If that's all He did, boy, we, we ought to be eternally grateful for the salvation that He's provided for us. Father, I thank You for your goodness to us. God, I thank you. You're so good to us in reality. God, you've blessed us. We just fail to see it. We fail to realize how good you are to us. God, help us this Thanksgiving to not be complaining, not be murmuring about this or that, but God, to be content and then to go a step further and Say, thank you, Lord, for the manna. Thank you, Lord, for the provision. Thank you, Lord, for taking care of us for years and being faithful to us when we're not always faithful to you. A gratitude for everything that you've done for us. Help us to be mindful of your goodness to us. Well, thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, the altar's open, the piano's playing. Maybe God's spoken to your heart. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and thank God for your salvation, for the Bible, for His provision in your life. We're all prone to complain. We're all prone to murmur. We're all prone to 
look down on things. We have got to keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be thankful for what he's done. As the piano plays, the altar's open. Whatever the need. Maybe you just want to thank him. What a great opportunity. Thank him for your salvation. Thank him for your spouse. Thank him for your family. Thank him for your friends. Thank him for your church. Thank you. Thank him for his word. Whatever it is, be thankful. Let's look at God's provision and what God has done for us. And see the blessings of God in our life. Thank him for how many ever years you've been saved. Thank him for how many ever years he's taken care of you. We truly, truly have a lot of blessings in our life.